Alright, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we will be reading the whole chapter tonight. It's a short chapter though. Uh, feels like we've been in 1 Corinthians for quite a long time. I think it's maybe been a year. Um, so we're almost, we're getting our way through, almost done. Um, so we're going to talk, we'll be talking about love tonight. There's a famous passage about love here. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then we'll read this passage and go through it. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for bringing us here to learn about you and your word. And Father, your word says that you are love. And so, Father, learning about love is a very important thing for a Christian, learning how to love and what it looks like when one loves are crucial uh, to looking like you. And that is what we want, Father. We want to look like you. So, Father, please help us to understand uh, what Paul is telling us about love and help us to apply it to our lives. We love you, Father. Ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so if you guys are there at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you can follow along. And here the word of the Lord says, If I speak with the tongues of mankind and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions to charity, and if I surrender my body so that I may glory, but do not have love, it does me no good. Love is patient, love is kind, it is not jealous, love does not brag, it is not arrogant, it does not act disgracefully, it does not seek its own benefit, it is not provoked, does not keep an account of a wrong suffered, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, it keeps every confidence, it believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things." Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. But now faith, hope, and love remain, these three, but the greatest of these is love. All right, famous famous passage here. Um, So we're actually going to talk about uh, verses 1 through 3 and 8 through 13 first. And then we'll come in and we'll talk about verses 1 through 7, that most famous part. Alright, so what he's saying here, in the context, we've talked about spiritual gifts. um, And we've talked about cessationism and continuationism and that whole argument. And he's gone through what the spiritual gifts are and what their purpose is. And he's, he's ended that chapter 12 with saying, and I will show you, he's saying, desire the spiritual gifts but I will show you a much better way. Okay, so the point of the spiritual gifts is for the upbuilding of the church. 
All right? And so Paul is saying, those are good for building up the church, but I'm going to show you an even better way. All right? And then he begins to talk about love. All right? And so when he says, he's, he's highlighting these spiritual gifts. If I speak with the tongues of mankind and of angels. Okay? So, spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. He's saying, if I'm using the gift of speaking in tongues, but I do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. All right? So he's saying, I may have this spiritual gift that's supposed to build up the church, but if I don't have something else, it's, it's, useful, it's useless. I'm not actually building up the church. And he says, if I have the gift of prophecy, and I know all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith, which is another spiritual gift, so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. So he's saying you may have the best spiritual gifts, which, which I would say we associate prophecy and faith as some of the best spiritual gifts. And then this one's really, in, really, confu- uh, really interesting. He says, if I give away all my possessions to charity, we would say, how could you do that without love? But he's saying, okay, if you do that, you can do whatever, uh, and, and you may surrender your body, but if you do not have love, it does you no good. All right, so... This highlights something very important, and we've talked about this before, that why you do something is equally important as what you are doing. God sees through to the heart. He sees the heart of the issue. He sees the heart of the man. All right? And so no matter what you are doing, if you are coming to church faithfully every Sunday, coming to youth group every Wednesday, reading your Bible every day, but you do not have a love for God... I'm telling you, it's, it's worthless. You have a worthless religion if you have no love for God. You're just, you're just trying to please yourself. You're trying to puff yourself up. Uh, you're trying to look good in the eyes of your parents, of your peers. It's useless. That faith is worth nothing. Right? And so Paul is saying, you may have all of the spiritual gifts, but without love, it is nothing. Okay? And here's what he says, that love never fails. All right, and so this is where we actually get into the cessationist argument. He says, if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. Okay, so even the continuists, because we talked about that, they have to agree that one day the spiritual gifts will cease, even if they don't think it's now. If there are tongues, they will cease. That's even where we get the word cessationism. They will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. For we know in part and prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. All right, so we have to admit, even if you are a continuist, you have to admit that one day the spiritual gifts will cease because they have a purpose here. Whether you think it's to validate the Christian message, which is what the cessationists believe, or for the continuist, it's for you know, a continual upbuilding of the church, one day all of these will pass away. All of these things that God has given us to uh, proclaim God's glory, if he's, if he's given you like a, a spiritual gift like that, all right, they will pass away. They won't have a purpose anymore because one day we'll all see the face of God. And we won't need to have this spiritual upbuilding of the church because we will all have the Spirit within us. We will all see the Lord. We will have perfect knowledge. Okay? Um, and so here's the part. This is, if you talk to a cessationist, this is their main scripture uh, defense for why they believe in cessationism, and it's this. It says, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. 
Alright, and the main question is, what, is the, what does this word perfect mean? The partial will be done away with. Alright, the, the cessationists, they think that the perfect, uh, a lot of them will say it's, the, it's Scripture. The fulfillment, like when we have the Old and New Testament, the Old and New Testament are done, Canaan is closed. They'll say that's the perfect that came, that sealed the deal, and now we have the perfect and we no, no longer need the spiritual gifts. Like I told you guys before, I'm a continuist, but a you know, reserved continuist. I think that perfect is just talking about the end when Christ comes. And my argument for that is, for then, now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. I think it's, it's definitely referring to the coming of Christ. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Who will I see face to face when the perfect comes? Well, I don't see, I don't see Christ face to face, but I have the scriptures. I'll see Christ face to face when the end comes. All right? Uh, so that's the main argument there for, for cessationism is that the perfect that has come is the Scripture and we no longer need those spiritual gifts. But here's, here's the good news for both parties is we don't have to argue about it because there's a better way. There's a better way. We don't, we don't have to have those spiritual gifts to build up the church. That's the good news. If you're a cessationist, you can still build up the church. If you're continuous, you don't have to hyperfixate on those gifts because there's a better way, there's a more excellent way that Paul says, and it's by showing love. Showing love to the church. Okay? Because here's what he says, love never fails. Uh, and now faith, hope, and love remain. And he says it right here, the greatest of these is love. Faith and hope are great things, and love is the greatest of those things. Okay, so then we have to ask ourselves the question, what is love? We have to ask ourselves that question, because there's lots of definitions going around about the word love. One of the most harmful definitions, and I'm a literature teacher, and I'll just tell you, whenever you're defining a word, you never use the word in the definition, just as a rule. It's not a helpful definition. But one of the most popular definitions of love that's gone around, especially during Pride Month, is love is love. You guys ever heard that? Love is love. They put it big on banners and stuff, right? And what they're saying is nothing. They're not, they're not communicating anything, right? But they're, what they're wanting to communicate is that love is whatever I want it to mean. They've taken this fact that uh, language is sometimes obscure and they've manipulated it to serve their purpose, right? And so when we say things like that, you rob that word of its meaning. And a word without a definition is a word without meaning. And for such an important word, we need to have a meaning attached to it. We need to understand what God means when he talks about love. And that's why this passage right here is such a famous passage about love is because Paul defines it for us. Not by, not by like a dictionary definition, but he gives us examples. He says, here are some examples of what love looks like. Right? And this isn't exhaustive. This is not all the things that love does. But it gives us a great place to start. It gives us a pretty well-rounded look at what love is. All right? As we look at this passage on love, I will expect everyone that listens well and thinks well about the Scripture to feel a little conviction. Because the standard that Paul has for love is very high. All right? And as I was reading to prepare this, you know, I had to call my mom. Because 
because I, I've, I fell under conviction. Right? And for me personally, this may sound weird, but my, my mother is one of the people that I struggle with loving the most, and that is because she's not a Christian. Um, and I love her a lot, but it, it, makes, it makes me feel so much pain to know that she doesn't know the same God that I know, that she doesn't worship the same God that I worship. And I just want her to know. I've been sharing the gospel with her for 10 years, with all of my family, but I love my mama in a, you know, in a special way, right? Because she's my mom. All right, and so I feel a lot of pain when I speak to her, and so I, I actually end up being pretty short with her a lot of times because I, I don't, I, I don't want to talk with her because it just, it just makes me hurt because... This is a woman who bore me, who raised me, who raised me up in a false religion. And God saved me out of it, and she doesn't want to hear about it. And so I, as I'm reading this, I'm like, man, I feel convicted because of the way that I talk to my mom sometimes. Uh, and so I, I'm telling you is, hey, I'm not... I'm not saying this passage like I'm an expert on pe- loving people. That's what I want you to get from this. I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad for me. I'm trying to let you know I'm not saying I know how to love and you guys need to love like I love. I'm saying this is God's standard Amen. and we're all falling short of it. Right. And so if you're not feeling some conviction whenever I go through these qualities of love, right, you're not listening well and you're not thinking about the scripture well. And that's the main point of the scripture is to convict us and to make us better people, to make us know how to love better, not just as some, you know, mental theory, but to actually act upon it in our lives. The Scripture matters for our lot. It's not just book knowledge. It has to matter to your life, or, it's, or, your, or your religion's nothing. And that's the whole point of the passage. You have to actually love God and love people, or your faith is worthless. It's nothing. Okay, so um, doing, I was doing a lot of word studies on, on, on this passage, and I really wanted to, to pause for a second and, and uh, explain to you the, the benefits and the dangers of a word study, because there are definitions that go around even in the church of love that I think are not correct or, or misleading or confusing. Uh, and one of those is that agape is defined as the divine love of God. And I was taught this. I believe this. I think people teach it today a lot. But it's not entirely true. It's misleading. All right. And the, a lot of people will say uh, agape means the divine love of God. And phileo means like a brotherly affection. That agape is like this highest form of what love is. And then phileo is more of just this feeling. And... That's not really how language works. And that's, that's, that's really the main point of what I wanted to say. And so some, some evidence for that is uh, John 3.19. It says this, it uses the word agape. It says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved, and the word there is agape. And it says they loved the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. So if agape is just this divine love of God, if it's only a good thing, then how could it be directed towards an evil? And how could it be that John is talking about people having the divine love of God for darkness, or having this high love of God, but for darkness? It doesn't make sense. 
All right, and then uh, for phileo, John 5.20 says, For the Father loves, phileo was, is the word used, for the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. Well, if, the, if God Himself is not having agape love for His Son, well, how is it that if God is the, agape is the higher standard of love, how is it that God isn't agape loving His own Son? All right, and if phileo is brotherly affection, well, how is it that God is loving his son with a brotherly affection? If your brother is your son, something's weird, right? That's not really how uh, those words work, okay? Um, and then another one here uh, in Revelation, outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood, all right? Um, and, and that word is agape, and it's they're loving evil, okay? And then the main passage that is used a lot to try to highlight the distinction is really a confusion of the passage. Um, And it's the passage where Jesus is talking to Peter and saying, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter's saying, yes, yes. And then how could you say that? You know, of course I love you, okay? In the passage, Jesus says, do you love me? And he uses agape. And then Peter says, yes, I love you. And he uses phileo. And then Jesus says, do you love me again? He uses agape, Peter uses phileo. And then the third time Jesus uses phileo. And people like to associate a very important distinction here. All right? But at the end of that, it says, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And so in the context, they are using phileo and agape interchangeably. Okay? So there, there's a lot of overlap in these words. Uh, and that's the same in English. All right, so I'll give you guys a big example. All right, I love my wife. You guys believe me? Yeah, no? I love my wife. Do you guys believe me? Okay. I love pizza. Do you guys believe me? I don't know. All right. Do you guys think that I mean love in the same way both times? Okay, so words can be used in different ways, and that's called the semantic range of a word. Okay, and so words can mean many different things. It's the context that matters. Word studies are valuable just because, just like looking up a word in a dictionary is valuable. Whenever you guys learn a new word and you look it up in a dictionary, it's very valuable. A lot of times there's multiple definitions, but you don't get to pick one of those definitions and then apply it every time you see that word. That's not how learning a word really works. And so when you do a word study, what you should do is you should learn all the different things that a word means. And then when you read a passage and it has that word, think, oh, which meaning makes the most sense in the context? Right? And that's how you actually understand what the author means when you read something. You have to use your brain to try to communicate with the author. Okay? So um, I just had to say that. Because it's a common misconception about what, what love is, what agape is. Okay? Because in this passage, when, when Paul is talking about love, he's using agape and all these. All right? And this is another example, I think, of that love does not mean, the, the word agape does not mean the divine love. Because if it did, Paul would not feel the need to define it for us. But he does. All right? So let's, let's read this passage. Let's, let's come up with our own understanding of what Paul is trying to communicate to us about love. All right, so he says, love is patient, love is kind, 
It is not jealous. Love does not brag. It is not arrogant. It does not act disgracefully. It does not seek its own benefit. It is not provoked. It does not keep an account of wrongs suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with truth. It keeps every confidence. It believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. All right, so one thing about this passage, I will strongly encourage you guys to just go ahead and start now. Uh, try to learn Greek. It, it'll take you a long time, but, but start to learn some Greek. It's really important. Um, so what I was realizing as I was studying this, I actually put the NASB up here because in the ESV, uh, it uses predicate adjectives to describe all these qualities, but in the Greek, they're actually all verbs, okay? And so Paul is not saying what love is. He's actually saying what love does, which is a very subtle distinction, but I think very important because one, of the, one, one thing that we really need to realize about love is that it does things. Love is not just something that you have. When we talk about uh, love a lot in our culture, it's like, oh, I'm falling in love with this person, and I love this person so much, and it's just something that's come over us. It's completely passive, and we're swept along by it. But that's not what love really is. All right, when someone has love for another person, they're not swept up in the emotion and swept away. They actually do things for that person, for the benefit of that person. It's not for the benefit of themselves. It's not passive. Love is typically pretty active. Okay, And so that's one of the things that I think Paul is teaching us. And so um, doing a little bit of, of word studies, I, I, I did the work for you guys here on that word patient. Um, what it means is far from wrath, someone that endures something patiently. That would be the verb form. Love endures patiently. All right, And so that's that's really big in our lives, and I, that one's one that I struggle with a lot because I deal with a lot of annoying people, all right, because I'm a teacher and I deal with students, and I have to endure patiently as I understand they're just children, they're learning, I have to endure patiently with their failures and correct them, all right, and I struggle with that, okay? Uh, for kind, all right, unwilling to harm is kind of the root word there. Uh, but as a verb form, it's doing good, doing gracious things, doing kindness, right? And so love takes an active form in your society. You're going to do things that benefit other people when you love. Very simply, you're going you're gonna to feel the desire to benefit other people, and then you're going you're gonna to do things that benefit other people. Something that I, that's very telling of a lot of people in our society is they don't consider others to even think about doing, doing good to them. They don't consider others. Um, they, they just go about their lives. They're in the grocery store. They're walking through the aisles. They don't look where they're going. They run into people. They're, you know, they're holding up people in lines. They're just living their own lives, and they don't consider others. All right? So at a very basic level, love does good to others. Okay? Uh, for love is not jealous... Uh, for a verb form, you there, you got love does not envy. All right, love doesn't react with discontent at seeing others blessed. All right, in this world, sometimes people get things that you don't. And what I see a lot of people doing is pouting and saying, but how come they get that? And we all, I think we all do this. And I think we talk to the Lord this way. I know, I know that I have. 
You know, I would really, man, Lord, I, I wish that I had this. I wish that I had this. All right? And that's, that's envy. Instead, love would respond with, thank you so much, Lord, for blessing that person. Because if we actually cared about the other person, we wouldn't feel like we've been shortchanged. We would feel happy that that person was blessed by God. Okay? Love doesn't brag. It doesn't sing its own praises. All right? It's, it's, we, we all want glory. We all want people to give us attention. We want to have a good reputation. But an important part of that is not to, not to build yourself up in people's sight. Love doesn't care about itself being seen as the greatest. It cares about benefiting others. So love doesn't sing its own praises and tell people, look how good I am. You know, here's all the trophies that I got from, from, from football or basketball or dance or whatever. It, it doesn't concern itself with getting itself glory. Uh, and in the same vein, arrogance, it does not create a high opinion of itself. That's in its own mind, all right? So self-talk is a thing. You guys talk to yourselves all the time, even if you don't admit it. It doesn't make you crazy. We all talk to ourselves, all right? If in your own opinion of yourself, you think, man, I'm awesome. I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing so good, all right? That's not really how love thinks, Love thinks about other people more than itself. It thinks, uh, it, it thinks to, to find the good qualities in others and to, and to tell them, hey, you know, you're doing really good at this. I, I, I love the way that God is, is growing you in this way or, or blessing you in this way or giving you this gift. Uh, for, for rude, uh, it does not behave properly. I put the wrong verb for him. Ignore the behaving. It should be behaved. Uh, it does not behave proper, improperly. It doesn't behave indecently. Uh, and it brought to mind a, a verse in Colossians where Paul says, if, if a man thinks he's behaving indecently towards his betrothed, then he should marry. Um, and so we have to understand that we live in a society with rules and love doesn't want to offend people just in a practical way. It doesn't want to make people feel uncomfortable. It doesn't want to make people feel um, like they're imposing. It doesn't want to make people feel like they want to get out of the room, right? Love considers how, how people feel, just in a, in a, in a very, in a, in a lower sense. Just, you know, do they feel cared for in the room that I'm in? Do they feel like they're welcome in the room that I'm in? Am I saying anything improper, like crude jokes? Love, love doesn't do that, all right? And so in that too, um, if you guys are, are in a relationship uh, with someone, love doesn't seek to be inappropriate in that relationship. Love, love respects those boundaries. And, and, and in the nature of, of being improper, that, that word improper, there's a, there's a good time for almost everything. All right? And there's a right time. There's a right time for sex, and it's not until you're married. Okay? And so love respects that boundary. All right, and anyone that's trying to, to cross that boundary with you, ladies or gentlemen, they're not loving you. Amen. Okay? Uh, love doesn't insist on its own way. The, the literal word there is it doesn't seek itself. All right? Love doesn't see a pan of brownies, and you love the middle piece and grab the middle piece for itself. Loves think, love thinks, man, I want someone else to have the middle piece because I know it's the best. 
Love doesn't seek to please itself. That's, that's simple stuff, all right? And you guys will, you guys will see as you get, get older, love, the, the fact that you're selfish shows itself more in the little things yeah. than in the big things. Yeah. And, and you'll, you'll be amazed by how silly you can be in your selfishness about, about the, the stupidest things like, like, you know, I have to, you know, my wife and I ate a pizza, a frozen pizza tonight, and I have to think in myself, you know, which... You know, I, I cut it, or, you know, I cut it, which pieces are bigger, you know. And I, you know, I, you, I'd usually just have to let her choose, because I, I can't trust myself to not be selfish. All right? Um, all right? Love isn't irritable. It's not provoked. All right? Um, things that other people do, do not make them lose control. All right? So this world is hard. It, it's full of people that like to push your buttons, but love is not provoked to wrath. Love is not provoked in that way. Love, there are people in your life, I guarantee you, all of us have have these people, and this is where you should feel conviction, people that you already don't want to associate with, that when they walk in the room, you're like, man, I'm in a room with this person, and I don't want to be. All right? Go ahead. We all do it, but I'm going to again tell you, it's not loving. It's not loving. It's, you, you, do not, you, you hate that person. If that's the way you feel, you hate that person. It's not loving. You should feel bad about it. Um, resentful, counting up wrongs. This is in the same kind of same kind of vein. Usually, we hate those people because they've done wrong things to us, all right? And we never forget it. We love to keep track of all the things someone has done wrong, all right? And and that's usually when we explode. We're like, well, you did this three months ago, and then you did this two months ago, and this last week, and I'm fed up. I'm done with it. All right? Love doesn't count up wrongs. It doesn't hold grudges. And I'm really good at holding grudges. All right? And so love doesn't do that. I, I have to repent. Uh, two that are paired together, uh, love rejoices not with wrongdoing but in truth. And I just think it's really interesting that, that wrongdoing and truth are paired as opposites. Um, bears, love covers. All right? In the context, it resembles what forgiveness looks like. So uh, instead of counting up wrongs that people have done, you're covering over it. You're like, yeah, that person, you know, they're always mean to me, but, you know, let's, let's, let's forgive them. I'm covering it up. I'm not going to mention it to them. I, you know, uh, you know we've, we've had a conversation about it. I, I asked them to stop. You know, they keep, they're struggling with it, all right? We're gonna, I'm going to bear with it. I'm going to forgive them, all right? And then these three, these three, I think, typically are towards, towards individuals, that you place trust and good expectations uh, in other people. All right? A lot of times uh, we think that because people fail, that love does not exist. There's a lot of people that are burnt out on love in the world because someone that was supposed to love them did not love them well, and they feel like love doesn't exist in the world, and they can't trust other people, and they can't remain confident in other people, and they can't have hope in them. Well, it's not true. All right? If you are loving, if, if you are loving, you will be able to trust in other people regardless of the fact that other people have hurt you, all right? And you need to be able to distinguish the fact between someone who hurt you and someone who did not, all right? And, and a lot of people who are burnt out on love have trouble distinguishing someone who has caused them harm and someone who has not. Um, and so you need to be able to do it. You need to be able to have healthy relationships, all right, even though people have hurt you. All right, so you can place trust in people. 
uh, and have good expectations in others to, to think that they're, they're going, they're not, to not assume this person's going to let me down, right? Love doesn't assume that people are going to, that or people are going to let you down. It doesn't assume that people are lying. That's not how a healthy relationship functions. A healthy re- relationship never functions on someone assuming that someone's lying or will fail without good evidence. All right. And then the last one, love remains constant. And in this world, it's a, in this word, it's especially when the beloved is abandoned or despised by others. All right. And, uh, this one is really hard for kids, I think, because we, we love being with the popular people and we love what people feel about us. But whenever I think of, of this particular word, I think of sitting with the kid that no one wants to sit with at lunch. That's what I think of. Sitting with the kid that no one wants to sit with, uh, you know, at church or at a gathering. And it's, for some reason, it's just so hard when we're kids to think, wow, this guy has no friends, and that's sad and wrong, and I should be his friend. That's uh, because that's what, that's what love looks like. And I, and I would encourage you guys to do that. Um, all right, so this is not a hugely theological text. I don't have a, a, a lot of explanation for you. This is just the truth. This is, this is what love should look like in your life. Um, the only other thing I have is my translation of, of what, I, what I was of this passage as I was studying it, um, and, I'm, and I made sure that all the, all the words said does, because it, it seemed like Paul wanted, wanted us to understand that love was doing things. All right, so here, here's my version. Love endures patiently. Love does good. It does not envy. It does not exalt itself in the eyes of others. It does not fill itself with vain pride which is exalting itself in its own mind. It does not behave improperly or indecently. It does not seek to please itself. It does not let itself be provoked. It does not count up wrongs. It does not rejoice with falsehood, but rejoices with truth. It endures all patiently. It places trust in all. It places confidence at all. Confidence in all. It remains constant with all. I should say with. All right. That's all I've got. Um, although I do want to highlight one, one verse that I, that I didn't talk about yet is not rejoicing with falsehood, but rejoicing with truth. And this is hard for the world today is they think in order to love, you have to lie to people and tell them what they want to hear to make them feel good about themselves. And I'll just go ahead and say this verse flatly contradicts that. Lying to someone is not loving. And I would generally say it never is. The truth hurts, but someone who loves you will tell you the truth in a way that they think you can use it to become a better person. They won't tell you the truth in a way that just tears you down. Right? They have to speak the truth in love. All right? But love does not lie to a person to make them feel good. And that's what the world wants to do to you, is it wants to lie to you to make you feel good, to make you think, I am a good person, I'm loving all the time, when I blow up on people, I'm justified uh, because they were mean to me, and they got what was coming to them, and let's all be angry at the world, all right, and be, feel justified in it. And I'm telling you, no, you are called to a higher standard. You are called to look like God, and God is love, 
And this is an explanation of what God does. These are the things that God does with us. This is how God treats you. This is how God has treated us. This is how he treated the world when he came in a body and died on the cross. That's, That's the standard that you have. It's a high standard. You fall short of it. Repent and believe and have the Spirit come in you and understand that the Spirit is going to help you love and that you're called to that love and you're called to cultivate it. All right, I'm going to pray and then we'll go to small groups. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for teaching us about love. I pray that we would evaluate ourselves fairly and and really see where we line up on these qualities and that we would... We would remember this verse not as some verse just to memorize to talk about love, but as something to evaluate ourselves with, to see how we're doing. How, how, how are we loving our neighbor? How are we loving our friends? How are we loving our parents, our spouses? Um, because we want to please you. And Father, I pray that you would, uh, would open, open our eyes to see Uh, see ourselves clearly, not with vain conceit, uh, but with with the eyes of truth. We love you, Father. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.